Bibles. Ephesians chapter 6 is where we're going to be for a few moments this evening. Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to read uh, verses 10 through 17 together. And uh, then we're going to be looking for a few moments at this passage and a message that I've entitled, We Must Stand. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse number 10, and as the title says, please stand out of respect for the reading of God's word. Don't worry, it doesn't mean we have to stand the whole time. Ephesians 6, beginning in verse 10, the Bible says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Father, we love you. As we consider tonight, uh, Lord, our battle against the enemy. Lord, help us to see how your word teaches that we can and we should stand faithfully in your name. Lord, help us, I pray, to hear and to heed all that the Spirit would have for us tonight. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So we're in the book of Ephesians tonight. It's helpful to understand a little bit about the book. The book of Ephesians is a wonderful book that details our experience as a follower of Christ. It was written by the Apostle Paul from a jail cell, and though it was written in the lowest of places, as you read and study this book, you will find that it explores the highest of spiritual heights. Paul begins in chapters 1 through 3 by detailing the blessings and the beliefs of Christians. He moves on then in chapters 4 and 5 and begins to discuss our behavior as a follower of Christ. He details how we ought to behave in ministry and morality and marriage and family with our material possessions. Having laid the foundation of our beliefs and blessings, our behavior should then follow. But in chapter 6, which is where we are tonight, Paul ends this book by detailing the battle of the Christian. The commentator Warren Wearsby said it this way. He said, sooner or later, every believer discovers that the Christian life is a battleground, not a playground. The battle for the believer is not a choice, but a reality. To not acknowledge this is to set yourself up to live ever discouraged, defeated, and discontent, wondering why things are so hard. Well, you don't really have to wonder because you're in a battle. You're in a battle. But when we embrace it, when we embrace the fact that we wake up every day in a battle, do you know what happens? 
we find that God has granted us all that we need to stand. I'm going to make this statement because we're going to talk about the battle tonight a little bit. Our God is not a loser. Our God is not a loser. And so when I live acknowledging and following his plan, when I live seeking his power, when I live standing on his promises, you know what happens? I can't fail either. And tonight in Ephesians chapter 6, I want us to see several keys to being able to stand even in the hardest Battles. Look with me beginning in verse number 10. Would you read it in unison with me? The Bible says this. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Roman numeral 1 tonight, we must stand. How can we do it? We have to do it with the right mindset. We have to do it with the right mindset. Paul here calls us to be strong. Now, a couple of thoughts here as we look at this. I think we have to start by recognizing there is a seriousness to this call. The battle that we are in is not a light thing. It's not a sporting event where there's a winner and a loser and all shucks will try again next time. No, this battle is a very serious thing. And there are tremendous, even eternal implications of the battle we're in. There's a lot at stake. Jesus said this in John chapter 10 and verse number 10. He said, The thief cometh not before to steal, kill, and to destroy. He said, I am come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. There you see in the one verse the results of whether you win or lose this battle. We lose and let the thief steal, kill, and destroy everything worthwhile in our lives, or we stand in God's grace and by God by God's grace and for God's glory, and we can know the abundant life that Christ has promised and provided. This is a serious call. The devil is likened into a what? He's likened into a snake. And I'm gonna tell you that right there is enough for most of us. If I were to tell you there was a snake loose in the building tonight, how many of you would feel the call to go out on Wednesday night visitation? That's right. Probably the vast majority of you. Because the idea of the snake being loose in here, that's enough for me to change what I'm doing. But, you know, the devil is not just likened to a snake. He's not just likened to a serpent. He's likened to a roaring lion. He's likened to a dragon. We're called to be strong. And and this is a serious call because this battle is real and there is so much at stake. But not only is there a seriousness to this call or a sober-mindedness that we have to have, but there is also a surrender to this call as well. Let me draw this out for you. In verse number 10, he says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. When he commands us to be strong, it's important for us to understand that this verb is not an active verb. This is not something that I need to go out and do. It's not me lifting spiritual weights. Ah! It's none of that. No, it's not an active. It is a passive. And so... 
In other words, this is not me going out and and flexing my spiritual muscles, but this is me putting myself in a position where I allow this to happen to me. I'll give you an illustration of this. I can't fly. I can't. I know. I am not Superman. But you know what I can choose to do? Position myself on an airplane. And when I put myself in that position, guess what I can do then? I can fly. You know, when the Bible here is telling us, they're calling us to battle and recognizing the battle that we're in, they're not telling us, the Bible is not telling us, Paul is not telling us to go out and do this on our own strength. He's not telling me to be strong. He is telling, my, telling me that I have to surrender myself to God. And bring myself to a position of dependence on him. If I want to fly, I have to put myself in a position of absolute dependence on that plane. There is nothing I can do to contribute to the success or failure of that mission. And church, if you and I are going to stand by God's grace and for God's glory, if you and I are going to stand... It's because we put ourselves in a position of absolute dependence on God. Paul recognized, he said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number 10. He said, therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distress for Christ's sake. He said, for when I am weak, what did he say? Then am I strong. You know, that's hard, though. And I'm probably the only one in the room, but I like to feel like I'm in control. It's hard. And again, I'm probably the only one in the room, but I like to have the answers. And it's hard. And again, I'm probably the only one in the room, but I like to to have a, a certain level of confidence. But look at that verse. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. And in the power of his might. You see, I'm not called to be strong in myself. I am called to be strong in my Savior. Give you a good little phrase. Christ in me is enough. I'm not saying I am enough. I am saying Christ in me, he is enough. He is enough. By the way, a God who is big enough to speak creation out of nothing is big enough to supply you whatever you need to stand. So if you and I are going to stand, you know what it's going to take? Hey, the, the battle is real and the battle is hard and this thing is serious. And if you and I are going to stand, we're going to need the right mindset. So what are we going to need if we're going to stand, church? Number one, we need what? We need the... Right mindset. Number two, what do we need? We need the right materials. So not only do we need the right mindset, but you and I need the right materials. Look with me at verse number 11, and we'll read this one verse in unison together. The Bible says this, Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wilds of the devil. Now, I'm going to jump down, look at verses 13 through 17. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all... 
to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So number one, church, what do we need? Number one, we need the right mindset, right? There is a seriousness to this call and there is a surrender to this call. It's not my strength. It is his strength. I need to put myself in a position of complete dependence on him. Not only do I need the right mindset, but number two, I need the right materials. Put on the whole armor of God. Did you know the intentionality of the action? Now, this is an active thing that you and I need to do. We must take the initiative to clothe ourselves with God's armor. No one else can do this for you. Young people, your mommy and your daddy, they may clothe you physically, but they cannot clothe you spiritually. Husbands and wives, our spouses cannot do this for us. Our our church cannot do this for us. No one else can do this for you. But we are commanded to clothe ourselves with God's armor. And the force of this command is carried throughout this whole section. Verse number 11, we are commanded to put on the whole armor of God. Verse 13 carries the force of that command. Take unto you the whole armor of God. Verse 14, again, carries the force of the command. Stand therefore. Uh, Verse 16, taking the shield of faith. Verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation. The command here is clear. It's not multiple choice. It's not what suits you. I mean, it's not take the helmet of salvation if you're bald like Brother Utley, but you can choose not to take it if you've still got a decent amount of hair like Dave Weirich. Um, it's, not, it's not a choice, all right? We are commanded to take and put on, to clothe ourselves in the whole armor of God. By the way... This right here answers the question, how we are strong in the Lord. You know, sometimes as preachers, we're really good about giving the what. Like, study your Bible. Yes! How? (laughs) And we're not so good about giving the how sometimes as preachers. Right here, church. Be strong in the Lord. Yes! How? Put on the whole armor of God. Put on the whole armor of God. So we see here the intentionality of this action. It doesn't happen just because you wake up and yawn. It honestly doesn't even just happen because you read your proverb for the day. It happens because we intentionally recognize that I have got to put the armor of God on if I am going to stand in the battle that I face. So we see the intentionality of the action, but I also want you to note the intentionality of the armor. That each piece has a purpose. This is why the whole armor of God is so important. The Bible here talks about the breastplate of righteousness. You know why? Satan wants to attack your heart. The devil wants to attack your heart. How easily our heart is drawn away from the things of God. The devil wants to attack your heart. So what? That piece of armor, the breastplate of righteousness, is what? It protects our heart. The helmet of salvation. How many of us recognize the devil doesn't just attack our heart? Sometimes the devil attacks our head. 
sometimes I just can't get out of here. And if I could just get out of here, I'd be a whole lot better off. And the devil attacks our head. The devil attacks our heart. The devil attacks our head. The devil attacks... The fiery darts of the devil are relentless. He knows how to throw them at all angles. He knows how to get you at the feet. One, one of my favorite... If you were here for VBS, oh, it was, it was wonderful. It was phenomenal. Uh, Mr. Dan Utley, he... Um, he cracked me up all week. And so he was the senior knight, and he was teaching his little knight in training. And one of his little stories, he talked about one of his knight friends who, uh, who, who suffered a low blow in battle. Sadly, he was defeated. That was my favorite joke from the whole week. But how many of us recognize the devil's not opposed to low blows either? And so we even have armor for our feet. Every piece has a purpose. And so we see the intentionality of the action over and over and over again. We are commanded to clothe ourselves with the armor of God. Because each piece has a purpose. And this is a good place for us to stop and remember. Struggle is not a sign of weakness. Just because you struggle doesn't mean you're weak. We struggle because we're at war. But that doesn't mean we're weak. What we have to avoid is not struggle, okay? We, we, we're not going to be able to get away from struggle in this life. But what we have to avoid is giving our opponent unnecessary advantages and openings. That's why Paul, two chapters before Ephesians 4 and verse 27, he reminds us, neither give place to the devil. I'm not going to go through each piece tonight. That can be a study for you to do. But I am going to mention a couple of them. Verse 14. Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth. That's good old King James for the belt of truth holds it all together. The belt of truth holds it all together. And by the way, is it any surprise that the Bible here names truth as that which keeps it all together? When truth is under such attack in our society today. People all over wonder, what is truth? Is it my truth? Is it your truth? Is it absolute truth? Is there somewhere in between? Is there some version of this or that? Or how do we know? Truth is under terrible attack in our society today. Let me help you a little bit tonight. Truth is determined by the standard that is used. Truth is determined by the standard that is used. So then finding real truth comes down to having the right standard. Let me give you a couple of examples. The standard for height. Some would say, I am tall. And to some, I would be tall. If I went and stood next to my good friend Shane Pocock... I would not look as tall. Why? Because the standard we use to measure matters. If I stand next to Jeremy Bowling, I am the tall one. If I'm standing next to Shane Pocock, I am the short one. Is there no truth? Well, yes, there is truth. But truth is determined uh, by the standard that is used. Think with me. Think with me about pizza toppings. How many of you enjoy meat on your pizza? Amen, glory, hallelujah. 
How many of you enjoy fungus on your pizza? Deacons, take the names. Uh, we, will, we will deal with these folks in the next meeting, all right? I mean, that's, that's, that's almost blasphemous. But what determines that? What is the standard being used there? An individual's taste. Does that mean there is no truth? No, it just means truth is defined by the standard. Ooh, let's get a little bit murky then. Does that mean there is no truth? Not at all. That means in order to find real truth, you have to have the right standard. So let's talk about whether somebody is a boy or a girl. Because that one's just, that one's all out there. What's the standard for that? Biology. Chromosomes. Not how I feel. But when our culture has made feeling the standard for truth, now anything goes. The problem is feeling is not the standard for truth. There is a reality, a definable, observable reality that helps serve as a standard for truth. So, if truth is determined by the standard, finding real truth comes down to having the right standards... Let's go a little bit farther. Finding absolute truth comes down to finding absolute standards. Let me give you an example. I don't care who you are. I don't care what age you were born in. You could have been born uh, uh, back three generations from Adam and Eve. You could have been born in the Middle Ages. You could have been born in Africa, in China, in Iran, in Iraq, in Russia, in Ukraine, in America. You could talk with a southern drawl, and you can call uh, the fizzy drink pop. It doesn't matter where you come from or what your experience is. Two plus two equals four. Why? Because absolute truth, absolute truth is defined by an absolute standard. By the way, we have access to absolute truth. John 17 and verse number 17, Jesus says, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 13, again, the Bible says that God's word is truth. The word of truth. The gospel of your salvation. This book is inspired. This book is infallible. This book is inerrant on every single thing it speaks about. And I'm going to tell you, church, there is a reality and an authority in this book that cannot and will not be denied. It doesn't matter what a legislature says or what a court says or what pop culture says. We have absolute truth. We have absolute truth, by the way, for what matters for time and eternity. Do you know what that absolute truth is? John 3.36 tells us that. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not on the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Period. That is absolute truth for time and eternity. And I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of people out there that says, well, No, God has said what he will do. That, ladies and gentlemen, is absolute truth. It's truth. By the way, we have absolute truth, not just for time and eternity, but for what right and righteousness is for all of humanity. 
2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. That's teaching us what's right. For reproof, that's telling us what's wrong. For correction, that's telling us how to get right. For instruction in righteousness teaches us how to stay right. And by the way, that's it's not for old people. It's not just for young people. It's not just for Americans or people who speak whatever language. It is for all of humanity for all of time. We have absolute truth. And by the way, church, we would be wise to have some discernment to learn the difference between uh, uh, what flavor of pizza we like and thus saith the Lord. By the way, because there's a lot of people thus saying thus saith the Lord when he never done said it. Sorry, I got to back up a little bit. My English is going crazy. Anyways. But here's what the truth does. The truth holds it all together. And if we get loose on the truth, everything else can come undone. Why does it matter how we feel when we have the truth? We are held together not by the changing world, but by the changeless word. Having our loins girt about with truth. You know what, church? We need to stand. We must stand. And sometimes that means standing against the culture. Sometimes it means standing against my own feelings. Because my own feelings don't line up with what I know is true. But I have got to let what is true hold it together. Loins girt about with truth. Look at verse 15. Having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. I I, I love this. So the Roman soldiers would wear like a a spiky sandal type thing to help give them traction and footing. Uh, How many of you have ever played sports and you know having like cleats, having spikes on the bottom, it matters a great, great deal, right? And so what that would do is that would give them traction, that would give them footing. It was designed to help them uh, to stand their ground, but you know what? It was also uh, designed to help them sustain their ground as they moved forward in the advance. Now, Vacation Bible School, I'll go back to it. They played a game called Tug of War. You ever played tug of war? I was happy letting the kids do it until I saw some other adults get involved. And then I'm like, it's on. Here's the problem. There were a whole lot of kids and adults on the other side. And so we got one good step. But I had tennis shoes on. And I realized real quick, if I planted too hard, you know what would happen? Whoop. And then I'm, I'm dragging a bunch of like 10-year-old boys and girls like bowling pens. And that would not have been good. So... But I was able to gain some ground. But since I didn't have the right footwear, I wasn't able to sustain that ground. You know, having our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace is important. You know, it's important to help us stand. But it's also important to help us sustain the ground that God allows us to gain on the devil. How do we gain ground on the devil? Well, we simply do it by taking the gospel of Jesus with us everywhere we go. By the way, I'm going to point out an important word here that we often read over in verse number 15. Having your feet shod with the, what's the next word? Preparation. In other words, that means I'm ready. I'm ready. Preparation means a readiness. Let me ask you, are we ready to share the gospel? 
Are we ready to take the gospel with us to the grocery store, to the office, to the factory, to the restaurant? Are we ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within us? You know, some of us tonight, we have to acknowledge, you know what, I'm not really prepared. You know what, as long as you acknowledge it and chart yourself a course to become prepared, there's nothing wrong with making that realization tonight. Hey, I'm not prepared, but I need to be. You know what you need to do? You need to, maybe on our Wednesday night visitation, maybe you need to go out with somebody who is seasoned and prepared and learn with them and learn from them. Maybe, maybe, maybe as we have classes, we're going to have one later this summer for the fair ministry, preparation and how to share the gospel. Whether you're able to go to the fair or not, go to that class so you can learn to share the gospel. When we have breakout sessions or Sunday school classes, go and, and get involved because the reality is this, church, We are not going to change this world by changing the political party in power. We're not going to change the world by changing the laws or etc., etc. We are only going to see this world change as the gospel of Jesus Christ changes the hearts of men and women in this world. And that's only going to happen as we take the gospel with us where we go. Loins, girt about with truth. Feet shod with the preparation of the gospel. I'm going to give you one more tonight, and then we're going to round for home and wrap this thing up. Verse 16. Again, I encourage you to study out the other ones. Verse 16, he says, And above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Now, the shields that are in reference here were large, typically like four foot by two foot shields. Uh, They were designed to block the enemy's arrows. Another unique feature of these shields is they were designed to interlock with one another. And so as the line moved, they literally formed a moving wall that was meant to advance on the enemy. By the way, that simply tells me this. If my shields are meant to interlock with others, it means that I'm not supposed to do this by myself. It almost sounds like we're meant to do this together, like church matters or something. You were not meant to do this by yourself. And as I consider the fact that it calls it a shield of faith, not only were you not meant to do this by yourself, I see that you cannot do this without faith. Hebrews 11 and verse number 6 reminds us, but without faith it is impossible to please him. You know, when we consider the enemy, and we'll talk about him in a minute, The devil hadn't changed much. Honestly, (laughs) he doesn't have to. His his tactics are quite effective, and they've been quite effective from the beginning. You go back to the beginning, and uh, uh, what did he do? Genesis 3 and verse number 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, you can almost hear it slither off his tongue, Yea, hath God said? So the first thing the serpent does is what? Questions God's word. Undermines the authority of God's word. First thing that the serpent does. By the way, that's still what he's doing today. Undermining God's word. Did God really say? Does God really mean? Does God really want? And I'm going to tell you there's some people out there who are very adept on twisting and perverting God's word. Taking things out of context. Re, literally redefining words 
But he questions God's word. But he goes on. He doesn't just question God's word. He questions God's will. Uh, Yea, hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Verse 2, he said this. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. First, that's, we'll stop right there, that's fine. So he not only questions God's word, he questions God's will. Go back to verse number one, if you would, the end of verse number one. Hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? In other words, what's God keeping from you? Is God's will really good? Go over to verse number four. And the serpent said unto the woman, ye shall not surely What is he doing there? He's questioning God's authority, God's government. And so he questions God's goodness, and he questions God's government. And verse number 5, he questions God's goals, uh, saying that God's actually holding out on you, and what God has planned for you really isn't what's best for you. Boy, his tactics haven't changed much, have they? He questions God's word. He questions God's goodness. He questions God's government. If God's so good, then how would he? He questions God's goals. He's very persuasive. He's very subtle. He's very crafty. But you know, the shield of faith is able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Because the shield of faith is simply this, the decision that I believe God. There's a lot of stuff going on around me, but I believe God. There's a lot of stuff going on within me. I don't like it, but I believe God. No matter how others go or what others do, I believe God. I believe his promises. I believe in his process. And so it doesn't matter what question the serpent throws my way. When I hold the shield of faith, it will quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And I have to choose every day to clothe myself with the whole armor of God and that will help me stand against the wiles of the devil so if we're going to stand number one we need what we need a right mindset number two we need right materials Roman numeral three and we're done tonight we need the right motivation we need the right motivation go back to verse 12 and 13 Paul wrote this, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. I want you to see that if we're going to stand, we need the right motivation. What I see in verses 11 and verse 13, that my motivation has got to be that I want to be faithful to God, that by God's grace and for God's 
glory. I am going to stand. Verse 11 says that I might be able to stand. Verse 13, that I might be able to withstand. Verse 13, having done all to stand. And I know that the devil is going to come after me with all sorts of stuff. He's going to use people. He's going to use my past. He's going to use my passions. He's going to use my pride. He's going to use the things I'm confused about. He's going to use all sorts of things. But by God's grace and for God's glory, I am going to stand. And I can be faithful. Do you know why? Because he is faithful. He is faithful. And I stand in his victory. I love that God doesn't ask us to do great feats of strength. He simply asks us to stand faithful in his strength. And my motivation is I want to be found faithful. Let me give you one other and we're done. Motivation, I want to be faithful. Motivation, I want to fight the right foe. Church, we've got to be clear on who the enemy is. Our enemy is the devil and his cohorts. He is the accuser. He is the deceiver. He is a liar. He is a murderer. And our enemy, Satan, has a powerful system of spiritual darkness in place to blind the minds of those who don't believe. You look at verse number 12, and it delineates all sorts of different levels of spiritual darkness and wickedness. And, and this, is, this is, if you would, Satan's bureaucracy that he has all over creation seeking to blind the hearts and minds of men and move them to do his bidding. Our enemy is the devil. And if we're not careful, you know what we'll do? We'll spend too much time fighting each other and not enough time fighting the devil. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Now, I'm telling you, sometimes it's hard to remember because I see flesh and blood. I don't see principalities and powers and rulers of darkness and spirit. I see flesh and blood. I'll give you an instance. There was a... Uh, for the sake of the children in here, there was a parade in New York this week. And they chanted several things. The last part of their chant simply went like this, and we're coming for your children. That's what they chanted as they went down the street. That makes me mad. That makes me real mad. But the reality is, those people are in danger of hellfire. Their eyes, Corinthians chapter 4 tells us, their eyes have been blinded lest they should see the glorious light of the gospel. And I'm going to tell you, is Satan using people? Absolutely he is using people. But Jesus came to seek and to save people. And so, church, we have to understand, yes, we see flesh and blood. And yes, Satan uses these people. And if we're not careful, Satan will use us. But we wrestle not against flesh and blood. And Jesus is able to save to the uttermost any who come to him. He's long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Our battle is first and foremost a spiritual battle. And I'm going to tell you that's a good thing. Because Satan is no match 
for the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And Satan is no match for you and I when we are on our knees in prayer, verse 18. Our enemy is the devil. I'm going to tell you, the prize is the lost souls of men and women who desperately need to hear that Jesus saves. That's the prize that we seek to win their souls for the cause of Christ. I love what Billy Sunday once said about the devil. He said, listen, I'm against the devil. I'll kick him as long as I've got a foot, and I'll fight him as long as I've got a fist, and I'll butt him as long as I've got a head, and I'll bite him as long as I've got teeth. And he said, and when I'm old and footless and fistless and toothless, he said, I'll gum him until I go home to glory and he goes home to perdition. We got to be clear on who the enemy is, church. The enemy is the wicked one. You know, I I really sense a season of God's blessing on our church. I, I sense a sweet spirit in this place. And church, I would implore us not to take it for granted. The Bible says what? Let him that uh, thinketh he stand take heed lest he fall. Let's not take God's blessing for granted, church. We must stand. Right mindset, right material, the right motivation. Will it be hard? But our Lord is worth it. And it will be worth it all when we see him. Father, we